Oh, hi, everybody. My name is Matt Storrs, and welcome to Matt's Planning. Today on the show, I have somebody who is an expert in an area that I feel like I might know something about, but we'll see about that. Expert, please introduce yourself and tell us what you're an expert in. My name is Lexi White, and I am a clinical ethicist. Thank you for being here. My understanding of what a clinical ethicist is, I feel is though is a little limited, but I like to practice the idea of breaking down words, breaking down occupations. So we have clinical and we have ethicist. Starting with ethicist, as somebody whose best grade in law school was in ethics, mm. I feel like I'm pretty qualified to understand, okay, there's something about ethics. A lawyer that does the best in ethics probably shouldn't be a lawyer i believe is the common phrase arguable <laughs> arguable there it, it, there's two sides of the fence to that one but probably not going to be the most successful lawyer we'll put it that way and you have ethical quandaries what is the right thing to do what is the thing that people feel is appropriate and the thing is that, okay, if it's in a clinical setting, it's probably going to be predisposed to having those kind of ethical conversations of like very candid, direct conversations with people. Probably with people. Probably that like high-minded ethics of the circumstance. And being in a clinical situation, you have as somebody who's also done a lot of focus groups <laughs> in a clinical scenario, not like medical, like I'm not like a person that they test stuff on. I haven't okay. done that. You're, they, not a, I, you're not a guinea pig. I'm not a guinea pig. They haven't selected me yet. I keep applying and they keep saying no. I A lot of the packaging for a lot of the food items that we've had around or like stuff in the personal care item okay. aisle, I have had a hand in giving my insight wow. into that's, that. That's so. very impressive. Thank that's you. an important part of the, our ecosystem is got to have product guinea pigs. As a product guinea pig, I feel... Like I have a hand in it. Every time I see somebody buy something, I'm like, they bought that because I told them it looked like it had too much water on the item. I can't say the specific things because I signed NDAs. Anyway. Yeah. It uh, sounds like a yogurt to me, but I could be wrong there. It could be a yogurt. I can't say. But in a clinical scenario, if it is with people, if it is dealing with ethics, I think that leads to a room where you would come in as a facilitator talking to a group of people about potential ethical scenarios. This is what I think tanks do, where people come in and they're like, there's just a group of people and they're like, okay, so here's this ethical situation. How would you handle it? What would you do? It's so it's like putting the trolley problem as a one of the very common ones yeah. now in front of a group of people and then facilitating different scenarios of it until you get people like really questioning their ethics and basically bending a bit and seeing where that kind of breaking point is. Yeah, that's ultimately what I feel a clinical ethicist would likely be that kind of combination of testing and figuring out what people's day-to-day -day ethics are and what their breaking points potentially would be. About how much of that would you say was accurate? So you actually, by breaking down the words and being like, okay, what does clinical mean? What does ethicist mean? Got way closer to what I do than 99% of people. That's amazing. I I'm thought like, I was way off. No, you are not oh. off. You're, you are off, but it's mostly just like the lack of completeness. So okay. a lot of what you described is part of what I do, especially when I teach. So I would actually say you were really close to describing what like a bioethicist does. Okay. And a bioethicist is like a bigger 
picture. So someone who like teaches ethics to medical professionals. Okay. Um, so that's the trolley problem thing. So like I, I do a lot of trolley problems. I actually teach clinical ethics to first year med students at Mayo Medical School. Okay. And I don't fully do trolley problems with them, but we like talk about the concept of a trolley problem and how that relates to ed- ethics. With like our first year medical fellows, we actually do trolley problems with them to help them think through these scenarios. So that is okay. definitely like you captured like a big portion of what I do. So I'm like super impressed because oh, usually you. when I say clinical ethicist, people are like, I have no idea. I have no fucking clue what it is. <laughs> they like vaguely think, okay, I know what like ethics is, but I think back to like election and <laughs> Matthew Broderick's here to be like, what is the difference between morals and ethics? Most people have <laughs> a vague idea, but they don't totally grasp it. Right. So you captured a big portion of what I do. The So I'm super impressed. So I'm actually more applied like most of my day-to-day is more applied even than what you're talking about okay so there's sort of two ways i explain what i do there's the way that like i explain it to a patient and their family if i'm rolling into your room hospital bedside to do a consult because we actually i work for a hospital system and we actually are run as like a consult service so just a doctor could consult a cardiologist to be like hey we need help we got a heart problem here they consult us they're like hey we need help we got an ethics problem here so if i'm showing up in your hospital room like not only has something medically gone wrong but something like bigger picture has gone wrong too and it's generally not a good idea to roll into a patient room and be like hey something has gone horribly wrong so we usually come in and we try and explain it as our big thing is we're here to help figure out like what the patient really wants and do right by the patient we want to make sure that the patient's values are being represented and that's super vague and it's hard to glean what we mean by that but when i give you an example it'll become really clear so like the absolute classic ethics, clinical ethics scenario, and I am not even kidding when I see one of these a week, is someone comes into our ER, they're usually pretty sick, and the doctors look at them and they're like, oh, this person has like an extreme infection in their foot. Like their foot is full-blown necrotic and needs to be amputated because they are going into septic shock. And if we do not cut off their foot, this person is going to die. And the person, they tell the person that they're like, sorry, sir, we have to cut off your foot or you're going to die. And the person says, nope, Absolutely not. You will not be taking my foot. Oh, Um, and so then that's when we get called in because they're like, oh, shit, what do we do? Do we take this person's foot against their will? Do we tie them down, put them under anesthesia, take their foot, and then they're going to wake up from surgery and be furious? Or do we let them die? Um, Okay. And that's a really tough question to answer. And so that's what we get called in to do. We are a 24-7 emergency service. So we get calls in the middle of the night to help deal with these scenarios. That's like the classic one. Another one we get a lot of calls about is someone is declared dead by neurological criteria, which is like the fancy, more accurate term for like brain death. Okay. Um, and when someone is brain dead, you as the lawyer might know this, they are legally dead. Like that is just a body at that point. There is no person there except in New Jersey. Except in New Jersey and except in weakened at Bernie situations. The legal legality yeah. of weakened at Bernie situations. You know, is- there's a whole essay to be written on that. Mm-hmm. But so they're legally dead. And sometimes the person will do what's called prior authorization where they're like, okay, like I would like my organs donated. There's like a bunch of weird legal issues around that, but there's a couple of different scenarios where essentially what sometimes will happen is the family will be like, no, they're not dead. Don't, you can't take them. 
And they'll actually blockade the room and won't let the body leave for either organ procurement or just to have the person, the body be extubated. Like you need to continue organ support. And so that's when we get called in. There's a dilemma of, okay, this person is legally dead, but do we have the family dragged out with security to get the body? What do we do here? So help out with situations like that. Another, again, weekly occurrence on a busy clinical ethics service is you have someone who's in the hospital, they might have like a brain injury, something they're unconscious and their wife has been at the bedside for like weeks, just like waiting for them to wake up. And they've been there for weeks and you've been talking with the wife making all the decisions. But weeks in, all of a sudden this person shows up and they're like, oh no, I am their wife. That's their girlfriend. Oh no. So what do you do? <laughs> have a tough conversation. This is oh, what yeah. you have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how do you typically... When you go into these rooms, like, how do you first present yourself? What is your first series of questions? Like, I would assume you introduce yourself initially, but like, how do you start that conversation? Yeah. So this is where that like tricky thing of there's the, the way that like I explain it to other people, like, obviously you don't want to walk into a room and be like, something bad has happened. So usually we like come in and we're like, Hey, like. I'm Lexi. I'm from the ethics service. And we always try and acknowledge, hey, a lot of people don't know who we are or what we do, especially when you're in a hospital. There's like people coming in and out of the room all the time being like, oh, I do this. Oh, I do that. And it can get really overwhelming. So we try and acknowledge, hey, you might not have any idea who we are. We're really here to help do right by the patient and make sure that the patient's wishes are getting represented and that we're here to help make sure that we're upholding the patient's values. Because yeah, I, I gave you a bunch of these scenarios right. of like why we might get called in and like the heart of like how we're solving all of those scenarios goes back to these four basic ethical principles. So you have your autonomy. So that's the patient has the ability to do what they want with their body. Mm -hmm. And in American medicine, like that's the most important one. We care the most about that. If you're practicing in like Europe, it's a little different. They care a lot less about autonomy there. And then you have beneficence. So that's, you want to do good by the patient. You want to do good things. The flip side of that is like non-maleficent. So you don't want to harm the patient. That's like your classic do no harm part of the Hippocratic Oath dealio. And then you have justice. So you want to be like a just steward of resources. So that comes in with things like organ donation, making sure that you're curating all of that. So in the US, we care like a ton about autonomy. We want to make sure that even if you as the doctor don't agree with what's happening, that we're representing the patient values. So like the way I've literally seen the amputation case go like every which way. And what it really hinges on is does the person understand, can they fully process, okay, if I do not have my foot amputated, I will die. And I'm okay with that because that's part of my value. Like I really don't want to live without my leg or having to go through that would be really awful for me. And so we're trying to represent their values. We're trying to figure out like, what do they truly value? And let's honor that. So right. if we can determine that they truly understand that they will die if we don't take their foot, and that's actually what they want. They would really rather die than live without their foot. We try and make sure that the team honors that and does not cut off their foot. Oh, wow. That's wild. Yeah, my my mentality would be, <laughs> at least if I... Yeah. walked in I'd just be get a read on them and be like okay so what are your feelings about Descartes how do you feel about Kierkegaard yeah. and then be like what I've never heard these words or oh I, I stun them with big words so that yeah they stun them with the big words yeah. stun them with philosophers just try and talk to them just casual conversation about philosophy yeah. and see if we could be like so at the end of it they're tired hey how about we take that foot 
Yeah. Um, what are your feelings about virtue ethics? Have right. you ever thought through like Kantian ethics? Are you like a rule-based person? Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, like, what are we doing here? Yeah, I remember when I went to get my ID this last time mm -hmm. and I was like, yeah, I want to I do organ donation. And the person at the DMV, it was a very long day. So this probably <laughs> impacted their re response to, oh, that's so nice of you to do that because the world, it the world really needs that. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. The world really needs somebody, people to be willing to do that. And I want people to know what my, if I've hurt or anything, my, my preference. And they're like, yeah, eventually we're just going to have to be hoarding cans and finding gasoline. And I'm like, okay, this took a yeah, turn. Yeah, this took a weird turn. I don't think in that scenario, people are necessarily going to be checking my idea and be like, oh, his organs, we can, yeah, I'm like- so so it's okay to scrap this body for, for parts. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I don't know what you've experienced today. I know the computer <laughs> system has been down. Are you okay? Do you need one of my organs? But fantastic. This has been so enlightening and so helpful. I really appreciate you breaking all this down for me. If people wanted to learn more about being a clinical ethicist about you or any sort of information, where would you direct them? So this is the really tricky thing is there isn't like a great single resource for information about like clinical ethics or what we do. Most hospital systems like have an individual website where they're like, oh, this is what our clinical ethics service or ethics committee does. But it's a lot of those like really vague words that I was like, they're like, oh, we care about patient values. That's not we really promote synergy. You. Yeah. Like <laughs> literally it's like the marketing department was like, okay, how do we not freak people out that right. someone's going to be coming in, talking to them about cutting off their foot. So there's not like a ton of good resources. So this podcast is going to be a great one that I can send people to, to learn <laughs> more about it. We're like now in a tautology here. Here, where it's like, ah, oh, by doing this, I'm now bringing more awareness to a uh, clinical ethicist. That's fantastic. I love the fact that this podcast is finally going cutting to be cited. Edge. Cutting <laughs> edge. Fantastic. Lexi, thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. No problem. Awesome. My name is Matt Stores, and this has been Matt's Planning.